Just a note on our first reading here from Daniel. This is an interesting narrative, um, and it's got, an, uh, I think, an interesting cross-section with the New Testament. In this book, and, and actually in a number of books in the Old Testament, we see the, the kind of situation that the original audience was dealing with was they're Jews living in what's called the diaspora, meaning they're not living in the Holy Land, they're living in the nations, they're living amongst the Gentiles. And uh, the broader society within which they live does not uphold the myriad laws of the Old Testament, amongst which are the dietary laws. And uh, and But it's more than that, though. So it's not just, you know, eating pork or whatever it might be. It's that if you go out into a marketplace and you purchase uh, meat, that meat, that animal, will likely, even if it was beef, okay, you know, if it was a cow, it will have been offered in sacrifice to a pagan god, to an idol. So that makes it very, very difficult for the Jews. And they, and he, so this is what we're seeing exemplified in the text. So the original audience of Daniel would have been reading this. This would have been a real problem that they had to deal with. And they would have followed Daniel's, um, um, his example of basically not eating it. Okay. So because you see, it was like, well, what's the matter with the king's table? Why can't Daniel, you know, drink this wine? Why can't he, uh, eat this meat. I mean, was it pork? No, not necessarily. It could have been food that was legitimate and, and uh, you know, allowed to the Jews. Uh, but the point is that it was offered to idols. And so Daniel and his three companions, they say, well, we're not going to eat it, period, because we this would be a violation of our conscience. It would be a violation of what they believed that the law was requiring of them, that they can't participate in any kind of idolatrous uh, activity. And even just eating the meat would be considered idolatrous. So, come to New Testament times. In the New Testament, it's you know it's commonly in Paul St. Paul's day. It was commonly being taught by him and his and Paul's fellow evangelists that Christians don't need to uphold the Old Testament dietary laws. They don't need to abstain from pork and whatnot. Um, but then there's still the question left. Well, do you do you eat meat offered that's been offered to Idols, because that's what it was in Paul's day as well. So the Christians now in Corinth, for example, in First Corinthians, they're living in a pagan city, and you go out into the meat markets, and all the meat there has been—it comes from a temple. Okay, so it's not so. It's an interesting process of, of food consumption in the ancient world. It was all religious. It all had to do with religion. We have, you know go to a butcher shop today and they don't you know it's not a religious institution but that's not the case in the ancient world all meat came from temples so the animal first went before the priest the priest offered it to the god killed it he probably ate some of it and then whatever was left over went out to be sold and they actually had like kind of like restaurants attached to the temples so you know you go into basically a temple to have a, a meal but it was understood it was a kind of a religious act that you were doing. So any kind of eating of flesh or drinking of wine was a was a religious, a pagan religious activity. Or if it, it didn't go to like the restaurant branch of the temple, it went out into the public markets and then you it was sold that way. 
people brought it home, but it was understood this, this is meat that's been offered to an idol. So it became a real problem for the Christians. What do we do? And uh, what, were, what would you do if you were a Christian at that time and St. Paul hadn't solved the problem for you? I can readily imagine, I think many of us would probably look at the book of Daniel and other of these books and they'd say, no, I'm going to follow what Daniel's doing. I'm going to be, you know, this is this is the clear case is that we can't eat it. We could only drink water and eat vegetables, no meat and no wine, because it's inherently idolatrous. So I think what we see here is the kind of depth and complexity of the scriptures, because Paul, okay, we have a we have an apparent... Um, contradiction, so to speak, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Paul gets into issues of conscience, and he gets into issues of, well, it depends on how people perceive what you're doing. He says, when you go to the meat market, buy whatever you're going to buy without any question. Now, if you come to, uh, and you just bring it home and eat it, it's not, says the, he says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Okay, so there's no problem. It's not an idolatrous act. Regardless of whatever kind of superstitious things were connected to it, it's not going to hurt you. It's not inherently sinful. Okay, just eat it. But if you go to a, a place, you know, you go to another Christian's house or even if you go to a pagan's house, okay, and they explicitly tell you, hey, this has been offered to an idol, Paul says, don't eat it. Okay? Because it doesn't matter the truth of the facts, but it matters how they perceive you, and you don't want to... Um, basically give a bad example to them. Okay? And the other thing he says is he says, don't go into those temple restaurants. Stay away from them as well because you're, you're very, it's a very public thing that you're doing. Okay? So, I mean, again, I think what we learn here is the kind of complexity of moral problems and issues, the need for thoughts, the need for reflection. Uh, the depth of sacred scripture and the interplay between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the interplay between what's subjectively wrong and then what is, you know, in our, in our conscience and our subjectivity, uh, what's right and wrong. And we need to, uh, be faithful to scripture, um, but also be very, very intelligent and thoughtful about it as well and not take a superficial kind of approach to it. Um, and, and, you know, many Christians do do that. They just kind of look at the Bible, whatever kind of appears to be the first hunch from it, they just they go with it, and then that's it. Now, that's a mistake, that's an error. But at the same time, let's go back to Daniel, and we see certainly all of Daniel's um, fellow courtiers, the king himself, and everybody would have understood Daniel to be kind of buying into the system, okay, of the, of the pagan idolatrous system. And so I think he's mindful of that, and so he's not going to give that image. So we see this, this real uh, act of fidelity on his part and his um, unwillingness to give bad example uh, and to be a light to the world. I think that's really the, the main thing is that we have to be mindful not only of what it is that we're doing, but how we appear to others. And Daniel is in this really, really dark situation where he could have made a lot of mistakes and a lot of errors, and there's a lot of pressure on him to uh, do what was wrong or to be a bad example. He was a light to everybody, 
without any kind of compromise whatsoever. So he was always presenting himself. Not only was he uh, an integral, moral, upstanding person, but he was always presenting that to the world, always careful about how others were perceiving him. And he's able to be um, a, a great shining example of fortitude and of endurance. And as we read in the rest of the book of Daniel, which we're going to continue to go through, um, you know, it comes down to a point where they're asking Daniel and his companions to, or at least his companions, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to bow down to this idol. And they say, no, we're not going to do it. You want to kill us? Okay, go for it. And uh, the kind of witness and testimony that that gave, it converted the king. So these are the sorts of lessons that we learn in the book of Daniel, and we're going to continue to dig into them as we, we continue through it.